Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Well, are you starting to accept the fact that Christmas may not go as planned this year? Uh, I've, been, I've been kind of wrestling with this, this reality, and I think the, the fact is the normal of our lives have been uh, interrupted by something that's not in our control. And so all of us are having to adjust plans. Everyone I talk to just feels like Christmas is a little bit muted this year. And uh, can I just be honest? Like, I love Christmas. I love the tradition. I love the songs. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I love family. I love fun. I love the games we play. Uh, I, I love the, the smack we talk. I love the food we eat too much of. I love the, the fun and laughter. I love everything about it. And this year, our, our plans are not going to be quite the same. I love I'm, I'm going to miss seeing all the, all the green kids amped up on sugar going a little bit crazy. Uh, there's some of those times, and we'll get some taste of that, but it's not going to be the same this year. Our plans are just being a little different, and our celebrations are being interrupted. And I was telling Chris, it's the same for me with our church. You know, there's things I love about Christmas and Christmas Eve service, and I'm not going to get to see everyone I want to see this Christmas because some people are going to need to stay home and be safe. And I don't like that. I told Chris this week, I was like, man, I don't like losing like, and having to change plans and not get to do everything I want sometimes feels like losing. Can you relate to that at all? Do you ever feel like, man, I, I feel like I ought to be able to get done what we want to get done, and I don't like having to change and alter my plans. It feels like a loss. But I know that, that many of you feel the same way. This isn't just about me, but all of us have gone through that. I've watched you guys over the last several months, not just in the Christmas plans, but had to have other plans interrupted. I've seen wedding plans that were interrupted. I've seen... Uh, school plans that are definitely interrupted, sports plans that were interrupted, uh, vacation plans that were interrupted, uh, career <clears throat> plans, retirement plans, health plans that were interrupted in this season through hardship and through things that we don't want. And all these interruptions obviously ask us to ask, uh, lead us to ask questions like, what, what were our expectations? Where did we get out of balance? How should we have responded differently? But interruptions also are leading me to ask some different questions. Like, what does the Lord want to say to us in the midst of the interruptions? What does the Lord maybe want to teach us and give us a new perspective in, in the middle of this time when our lives are being interrupted in a certain way? And I begin to wonder if there's not some opportunities hidden in the middle of these interruptions for us to, to maybe gain a new perspective on life, to think through things a little bit differently. Now, let's be honest, the more cynical among you are going, okay, here comes the spin, right? Like, is he going to try to tell me that all the bad stuff's good and... He's going to try to, I want you to know, I'm not going to just try to pull a rabbit out of a hat today. I'm not going to try to just put a new label or spin something to make you feel like, to trick you into thinking that bad stuff's good stuff. Uh, that's not what the scriptures do at all. But we are going to come to a verse that says nothing will be impossible with God. And I think it's going to push on us to ask the question, can we trust the Lord even when we can't understand everything along the way? And even when we can't understand how everything works itself out. And what I hope we see is that if we're going to make the most of these interruptions, that we're going to have to bring our questions and our doubts and our frustrations to the God of the impossible, to the God who can make the impossible possible. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, uh, famous passage as we're going to look at. 
And we're going to look at the, the birth announcements of two individuals, one John the Baptist, the other Jesus. And as we do, I want us to, to explore and to begin to think about this, um, this question of interruptions a little bit differently. So starting off in Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because barren was, Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on, was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were outside praying at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fell, fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. So we have this, this kind of crazy scene of an announcement, and this whole passage is really filled up with kind of a sense of sacredness as you come into this, in this encounter that, John, or that, that Zechariah is going to go through. You notice the John that he's talking about, the John that's going to become his son, that is a guy that we know later becomes named as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And the, he's one of the most significant people in all the New Testament. In fact, Jesus said of John the Baptist, no one has ever been born of a woman that's greater than this man. So this is going to be a significant feature or figure in, in the New Testament. In fact, see in verse 17, as John had one mission, it said that he was to go and make ready for the, for the Lord a people that were prepared. What were they to be prepared for? They would be prepared to encounter Jesus. He was to, to be the one who goes and lays the groundwork and is the forerunner of Jesus Christ that the rest of the world would be prepared to accept and to trust and to follow Jesus when he, whenever he came. Now, I think for us, as we think about that, it's easy for us to, to, to imagine John the Baptist and know all that's coming and know what Zechariah and Elizabeth were in for and know what they could expect of this son that they were be giving, been uh, given late in life. But I want us to step back and think about this from Zechariah's perspective. He's, he doesn't experience this like we do looking through the whole New Testament backwards to see what this moment was. He experienced this moment as a radical interruption to everything he knew about his life. He experienced this moment as, as a shocking moment. And think about this from his perspective. Zechariah was a priest, which you may not know is, he was one of 18,000 priests. So there's a whole tribe of priests, and the priests, there were so many of them that they only got to serve in the temple two days a year. And so two days out of 365, they had something to do in the temple where they went to work and did the stuff. Other times, they were doing all behind-the-scenes stuff. And then on top of that, not just two days a year, but there was actually one day in a priest's lifetime that they would get to enter into the holy place and assist in the, the offerings of the day. And so it says that according to the custom of the priesthood that the lot just happened to fall to Zechariah this day. And so casting lots, if you know for anything from the Old Testament, was kind of like a dice game, like a divine dice, dice game that God would play and they'd throw dice and it'd tell them what to do and 
So this was the day that they threw the dice in the midst of his little group and the number fell to him and he got to be the one that got to go into the holy place. But think about this from his perspective. You're a priest, right? This is your career. This is what you've, what you've been trained to do. This is what you're investing your whole life in and you get one shot to get to go do this. And this was the day that Zechariah gets to go in. Now think about, uh, as I think about kind of this, this moment, there, the, the sacredness all over this thing, of, you've got all the people, it says, are gathered outside the temple and they're praying, offering up prayers and intercessions to the Lord and Zechariah is going to enter into the holy place and, and, and all the people are watching him. And we know they're watching him because a little later in the story, Zechariah doesn't come out very fast. He comes out really slow and they get nervous. Like, dude, did something happen? Like, did he not, is he lost? Is he, what happened to him in there? Because he doesn't come out on time and it says they're all wondering where he is. And so we know that these people are watching, they're waiting. And he's gonna go in and offer incense. And as he offers incense to the Lord, it's a, it's a visual ex- a picture of the prayers and intercessions going up to the Lord, asking for God to intervene in the world. And so there's a very symbolic thing that's happened. And then in the midst of this, think of, think of Zechariah for the first time ever stepping through that curtain and stepping into the holy place. The one time in his life he'll get to do that. And as he starts to do his job, uh, you ever had to do a job like that that you, man, you're on, you're, you're in front of everyone, everyone's watching, and most of you is thinking, I just don't want to fumble. Like, I just, I don't want to drop the incense. I don't want to spill the incense. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to trip. Like, what if, what if I blow this whole thing? And so he's feeling the pressure that he steps in, into the curtain, uh, steps into the holy place, and right then this angel appears. And, and this angel is in front of him and begins to speak. Now, it's a pretty amazing uh, scene, and what you see from Zechariah is that there's holy fear. But it says he's afraid, and, and so he's stopped in his tracks. And in that, uh, there's this message, this announcement that's given from the angel. He says, look, you will have gladness and joy. The son of yours, he'll be great. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his womb. So from even before he's born, God's hand and his blessing and his call is going to be on this little kid's life, and, and, and he will fulfill this important mission in the world. And he's told, this is the answer to your prayers, Zechariah. This will bring joy and delight to you and others. It's a pretty amazing message to receive, right? So how do you think Zechariah is going to respond? How would you respond in receiving that kind of a message? Like, is he going to just jump up and celebrate and holler out and go, woo, and maybe do a little jig around the, around the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Holies and come back out celebrating? No, he doesn't do that kind of a thing. He's kind of just stuck in his tracks because this was an interruption. And he did what most of us do when we receive an interruption that alters the course of our life and, uh, and we begin to ask some questions. And how, do you, how do you respond when your life's interrupted? And when you think you have everything mapped out and all of a sudden there's a roadblock in that and you get diverted on a detour in a different direction. A couple of weeks ago I had uh, some dear friends of, of ours that came in and began to share with me a message. And this is a friend that, that a couple that had wanted to have children for a long, long time and had been able to, unable to. And as they had, had labored and um, we'd, we'd wept together, we'd prayed together, we'd, um, we'd, we'd kind of been in the trenches of, of walking with them through this for years. And they came in and sat down and told me, they said, look, we have to tell you, we have some news we need to share with you. And I'm thinking, oh no. And we came and we sat down and they said, we're pregnant. And I'll be totally honest, like I broke all COVID protocols. 
I jumped up, I went over and gave him a hug, I shouted, I, you know, gave him a big old bear hug, and we rejoiced and celebrated because in answer, the answer to the prayers had come, but this was eight or ten weeks after the, 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 the news had been given to them, and they were just inviting me into the story, and, and so I, I was able to, to express that immediately, but I know for them there's trepidation because they are, were worried for a long time for Zechariah, and this is the instant he receives this news, and how is it he responds? Well, he asks a question. He goes, how, how can I know this? And don't you love how real the Bible is? He goes, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have joy and celebration. The answer to your prayers is here. And he goes, prove it. How am I going to know? How do I know you're telling me the truth? How do I know I can trust what you say? How can I be sure that what you say is going to come to fruition? And he begins to ask that question. And I think that makes an awful lot of sense to me, right? I mean, he says, look, I'm old and my wife is old. And, uh, and really, actually, he doesn't say my wife is old. He says, I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. Like, this is a smart guy, right? Like, don't call her old. My wife's advanced. You know, like, uh, uh, you know, Gabriel, can you help me understand what's going to happen here? Uh, my wife's a little advanced in, in years and I'm kind of an old guy and, and I'm as a preacher trying to resist every blue pill joke in the world right now. But he's asking these questions and he's saying, um, man, I'm not sure exactly what it is or how this thing's going to work itself out. Friends, this, this wasn't easy on Zechariah. In fact, it says he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And I imagine it's all the, the poor dude can do not to like drop the incense and just run out of the deal and go find his wife and go, guess what I just heard? Guess what just happened? But he's told he has to stay there and he has to stay in this uh, same place and um, he, he's in front of this angel that's not some like Charmin baby that is carrying around a flute or something. This is, a, this is an intimidating angel that in someone sees an angel in the scripture, they always fall down in fear. And so there's this moment where he's taken back. And I would say this, is, this fits the description of an interrupt, interruption, right? His plans have been interrupted. And what, Gabriel, what, he said, what Gabriel says to him is, your prayer's been answered, your wife's going to have a baby. This is good news. But I, I think if I was Zechariah, as I walked away, if I'm honest, I think I would be asking some other questions. Like, why did you take so long? Why did it have to hurt for so many years before we got to this point? Why does this baby have to come in the time of Herod, the time of a king who will commit genocide over um, an entire race of babies? And why are you telling me right here, right now? Like, couldn't you just, like, get me through this moment and then tell me a little bit later? Uh, now, the hard thing about this is Zechariah, in the midst of all this turmoil and everything he's feeling, he's got to actually stay at work. Like, he's on a shift right now, and he can't go home until he clocks out. So it says, like, he had to stay until he finished his duties, and then he was able to go home and tell his wife. And so he eventually heads that way. But what we see, and what I want you to understand is the Bible doesn't present life as some cookie-cutter Christmas where everything falls into place easily and smoothly. But the Bible says that Christ oftentimes works through the interruptions of our life that disrupt us and take us back and make us and put questions and maybe even doubts into our mind so that we learn to walk by faith and trust the Lord. So Zechariah couldn't believe it. and He asked how this is even possible. Look at verse 19. The angel answers him and says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Now behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
And the people were waiting on Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, but remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. Now, if this wasn't so serious, it'd be kind of a funny scene, right? I mean, this guy goes in, the one time in his life he comes out, he can't talk. He has to kind of go through some game of charades, trying to explain, like, big angel message. Yeah. Like, I don't know how he's trying to communicate to these people what's happening, but they're afraid that he's fallen down and can't get up. And then he comes out and he tries to communicate. And they say, well, there's a vision. Uh, and then he has to go back to work and wait. He can't pick up a cell and text his wife. Uh, has to wait. And finally, he says he gets to go home and tell her what's going to happen. But it's interesting to me what, what Gabriel says when he begins to doubt. Gabriel basically says, look, the Lord sent me. Gabriel's an angel that stood in the presence of the Lord, and he was, he, he was there, and he was sent directly by God to give this message. And Gabriel says to him, this will come to pass. This is going to be something you can trust. But because you doubted, you're going to be silenced for a time until it comes true, and then you'll be able to speak again. Isn't that interesting? You ever think that sometimes that's the best thing we could do in the midst of our questions and doubts? And just shut up for a little while? Like, I love that the, the Gabriel kind of goes to him and just goes, hey, little man, just shh, just quiet down a little bit. Pay attention. Don't miss what's happening. Don't waste your interruption. Don't, don't, don't miss out on the moment that God has given you right now. But you need to see what the Lord's doing because this is, this is good news. This is going to bring great joy to you and your family. This is the answer to your prayers. It just didn't come exactly the way you thought it would come. And so he has to wait. And we're going to come back to this and draw some lessons in just a minute. But as we do, I want us to, to jump over and look now at uh, the birth announcement of Christ. Because these, in, in Luke 1, these two, these two announcements are meant to parallel each other, mirror each other. And so you get the announcement of John the Baptist's birth, who's the forerunner of Christ. And then you get the announcement of Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, being born and the announcement of, of his coming here in Luke 1. And you're meant to kind of compare and contrast these two. And so we're going to see a similar scene in Gabriel going to Mary. And Mary's encounter, though, is much more earthy. And it's much more secluded than that which came to Zechariah. Zechariah's had this sense of kind of this big public nature of uh, it's taking place at the temple and there's people around watching. And uh, the angel of the Lord appears while he's in the holy place. And there's this kind of, this, he's offering incense. That with Mary, it's going to be this very quiet thing that happens and there's going to be there's not going to be any priestly prayers or incense or big expectation but it's going to interrupt her life and she's going to receive it by simple faith look at me at luke 1 we're going to jump to down to verse 26 in the sixth month the angel of gabriel was sent from god to the city of galilee named nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was joseph of the house of david and the virgin's name was mary and he came to her and said greetings O favored one the lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will, receive, or you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So you see a similar announcement, although an even greater announcement is given to Mary about the birth of Jesus that's to come. And so if John the Baptist was going to be 
great. Jesus is going to be even greater. If John the Baptist is going to be a forerunner to prepare a people to, for the Lord, Jesus is going to be the one who's the Lord sent to the people. And so you see this kind of upping the ante that takes place here. But you notice it's the same angel, Gabriel, who is dispatched to give the message to Zechariah, who's now dispatched to give the message to Mary. And so you see a repeat of that. And you notice he calls her favored one. When he says favored one, he's saying that you're, you're a recipient of grace. That, that this is what, you're, you're receiving this message, not because of, of your faith or uh, the amount of your faith or your goodness, but because of the grace of God that's chosen to give you the gift of a blessing in the be, being able to be the mother of this one. He says, you will have a son and you will call his name Jesus. He reveals to us really three things about Jesus. Uh, the first thing we see, about, see here is Jesus' position, that he will be great. He will be a son of the most high. Um, he, so he's going to be one who's elevated. He will also be uh, one of authority. And so we see that Jesus, it says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will raise, reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is a promise of what we studied in the life of David uh, back in the fall. And so the, the promises that were given to David in 2 Samuel 7, it says this is the one that's going to fulfill those promises. And so that's his authority. We also see his divinity. He'll be a child. This child will be called holy. He'll be a son of God. He will be one who is, um, who is given by God. Now, they likely didn't understand all that that meant uh, at the time. Mary would have heard these things, and she, she would have heard something like, man, this is going to be a great one who's going to follow in the line of David, and then God's going to use him in our world. But she would not have been able to understand everything that was coming her way out of this section. But it's an amazing and positive message, right? Notice that Mary's response looks a lot like Zachariah's, though. Remember what happened with Zechariah? When, when Zechariah received this message from Gabriel, Zechariah's first response was what? How is this going to take place? Well, notice the very first thing that Mary says when she's given this message. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Um, it, it's, a, it's a pretty straightforward question, right? And as you think about this, it, it seems to be a pretty reasonable question. I mean, she's engaged to be married. She's betrothed to him, but she's preserved herself and waited, and she's looking forward to that wedding day when she can give herself in the flesh to this man that she's going to marry named Joseph, but she uh, says twice in the past that she's a virgin. And so in this, she looks and goes, yeah, I'm going to receive a son, but like somewhere along the way, her parents had given her the birds and the bees talk, and she understood how things worked. And so she's like, hold on, how is this going to work? Because things haven't transpired that normally would result in this. And it seems like a very reasonable question for her to ask. And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age will also conceive a son. And his name, <clears throat> and this uh, and is in the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, it's interesting to me that Mary asks her question. She's not asking with kind of a harsh or doubting or challenging spirit. She's, I think, genuinely just going, I don't understand how this works. And so she's coming and asking this question. And let's be honest, when, uh, when Gabriel answers her question, does that really clear it all up for you if you're Mary? I mean, is it helpful for you to go, hey, how does this work? And he goes, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he'll overshadow you. 
Um, if I'm Mary, I'm like, okay, I got a whole lot more questions now. Like, can I, can, I, can I tally up some more questions, send them your way? Because that didn't really clear this whole thing up for me, for me, Gabriel. I, I've got a lot more stuff I want to know. But it's interesting to me that Gabriel here says, hey, just as it seemed impossible for uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth to have a baby because she was cl- declared barren, um, it, it's going to be possible for you to have a child as well. Nothing is impossible with God. God will do whatever needs to be done, but you can trust him. Friends, I don't know where you are today, um, what interruptions you're experiencing. I don't know what difficulties you're, you're facing as you look at this year, as you face this Christmas season, as you consider uh, just where your career is, where your family is, where your hopes and dreams are, where the desires that are in your heart uh, that are still unfulfilled are. I don't know where those things are. But I think, uh, I, I do know that for most of us, life is harder this year than we thought it would be. I know that this year's just been more difficult than any of us imagined it would be this time last year. And in that, I know that sometimes that can raise questions for us, that can raise doubts for us, that can, can, can give us frustrations. And yet Christmas is a time we have to remember that nothing is impossible with God. Christmas is a time when, uh, when we celebrate that God's promises will come to pass, that our wildest dreams will one day come true, that miracles can happen. And Christmas is a reminder of all those things to us. And that can challenge us sometimes in the difficulty of our days. You know, when I, when I think about the question that Zechariah asked, when he says, how can this be, how do I know this will happen? There, there's, a, there's a kind of a question behind the question to that where he's, in a sense, revealing all the hurts that are there. And he's unearthing and kind of opening up his heart and saying, how do I know I can count on you? Because I feel like I've trusted in the past and it hurt. I feel like I've hoped in the past and been let down. How do I know this will be true? And yet, it can be hard for us to believe too. Friends, we live in a cynical world where we're taught to doubt everything, where we're taught to question authority, where we're taught to speak truth to power. We're taught to stand our ground and to trust only what we can identify as true by flesh and blood, what is immediately real, uh, present in our life and what is, um, what is immediately real to us. But Christianity invites us to trust a transcendent God, a God who interrupts our world and demands to be trusted and taken at his word. So I find Mary's response challenging here. You notice what, you notice what Mary says in response? to what Gabriel says. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She takes him at his word and she takes him as the authority. She says, look, let me, let me identify this relationship. He's the Lord, I'm the servant. And so I'm going to take you at your word. Let it be to me as you've spoken. And she receives that message. Some of us need to hear this message right now. Nothing is impossible with God. You know, that, that message is true whether you believe it or not. It's true because of who God is. It's true because of God's character. It's true because of God's power and his majesty. It's true because of God's goodness. And Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. She trusted God with her life. And it's no small thing that she immediately put herself as, I'm the servant of the Lord. Meaning, you're the authority I'm the one that gets to respond to you. But you get to set what is true. And I love what the old preacher, any of you ever listened on the radio, there's an old preacher named J. Vernon McGee. 
And, uh, man, he just rambles and goes on, but the dude can preach. And I love what he said about this. He says, this is God's universe, and God does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. And isn't that good? Like, you can, you can come up with the best way to run this thing if, if you get to be the king of the universe, but since you don't have one, maybe you ought to listen to the one who does. And that's what Mary's saying. She's like, look, I don't really understand it all. I don't really get it. I don't know why you're working this way. I don't know that I can necessarily go home and explain it to my fiance, Joseph, that I'm going to have a child as a virgin. I don't know exactly how I'm going to explain this to mom and dad. I don't know how in a culture that's going to condemn me and reject me, how I'm going to make that work out in my, in, my, in my world. All I know is this feels like an interruption, but it's a divine interruption that you have sent, and you are the God of the universe. And so I trust you, and I will, I will receive that message. Friends, it's often the interruptions in our lives I think we remember the most. See, in these interruptions, you realize that Zechariah's uh, plans were ruined. Like when Zechariah woke up that day, he had rehearsed for years the, the time he got to go into the temple, the time he got to offer incense, the time he got to step behind the curtain, the time he got to come out and bless the people and have that moment that he had waited on. He had already resigned himself to the fact that we're not going to have kids and they'd mourned and given that up and, and let go and labeled his wife as barren and said, this is the new future and this is what we have in our world and I guess this is the, the, the course we've been given. And all that had been settled in his mind and all of a sudden in an instant it got interrupted. And he had to accept that interruption. And Mary and Joseph, and think as a little girl, she's grown up all these years and She's waited to find out who she'd be uh, given to, and they'd already given the pride price. So they'd actually already paid uh, the price that would, uh, that, would, that would guard that transaction and that culture for that marriage to be sealed. And so it couldn't be undone, and she was going to have to go and face uh, the since public shame of being an unwed mother. In the middle of that, and her plans for all of her wedding celebration and um, all of her uh, celebration parties was disrupted through this event. And yet, God had something greater for him, didn't he? But it didn't make it easy for them in the moment. It didn't, make it, it didn't mean that they didn't have any questions or that they didn't have any doubts. In fact, I love the Bible's honesty about our lives. You know, it's in this passage, as you think about Zechariah and as you think about Mary and the encounters and the interruptions they had, both of them experienced both, uh, both fear and joy at the same time. See, in our, in our way of thinking, sometimes we... We, we make it sound as though you can only, you know, if you have fear, you don't have any faith. Or if you have faith, they're going to have nothing but joy. But what I see in this passage is they're coming and they're going, look, I believe, but I'm also fearful. And I wanna, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that I'm going to have a kid, but I'm also kind of terrified because it's not what I, what, I had in plan, what I had planned in the way that I had planned. And so there's fear and joy. You also see that there's doubt and there's faith. And those two will go together. And what I realize for many of us, and as I talk to an awful lot of people, um, can I just say this, that um, for, for an awful lot of people, they've, been, they've kind of been given the impression about Christianity that if you come to faith, you'll never have any fears, or that you come to faith, you'll never have any doubts. If you come to faith, you'll no longer have any questions. But the Bible doesn't pre present Christianity to that. In fact, if, if you feel like you're a person um, who still has doubts about some things, and you think, and I can't come to Jesus because I've still got some questions that I haven't answered. 
I, I can't come to Jesus because I still have doubts that haven't been resolved. I can't come to Jesus because I'm not sure how everything works out. What I want to say to you today is you're a perfect candidate to put your faith in Jesus and to trust him. Because you look like Zechariah and you look like, you look like Mary and you're a perfect candidate to follow Jesus. See, faith in Christ does not mean that you stop asking questions, that you stop feeling doubts. It means that you choose to trust the good news that you've been given and act in accordance with it. You choose to trust the good news that's been revealed to you and you act in accordance with it even when you don't know it all. You choose to trust the transcendent God of the universe who sent his son to be born as a helpless babe, vulnerable as one of us, as the baby of Christmas. And it's important for us to recognize that it wasn't easy for them to believe either. See, sometimes we say things like, oh, if I just seen an angel, then it'd be easy for me to believe. But I don't think that's true. It wasn't easy for them. Uh, they saw an angel and they still had tons of questions and doubts and it didn't solve everything up. In fact, for them, um, just to put this in perspective and show you how difficult it was for them to believe, this, this entire uh, chapter is taking place after a 400-year silence of God. So if you look at it in the, in the scriptures from, from Malachi to, to Luke 1, you've got 400 years in which God didn't appear to be actively invested in the world, revealing himself in new ways. And so there's a sense of this kind of distant silence of the world that lasted longer than America's been a country. And it'd be easy for them to wonder, has God forgotten us? Has God departed? Is God no longer here? Does God no longer have a plan for us? Has God abandoned us? Is God even God? It had been easy for them to ask a question. In fact, they were experiencing a tough situation as a people. It says at the beginning, the first verse we read said it was in the time of Herod. That was not a good time for the people of God. The time of Herod was not a good time for the people of Israel. It was a tough situation and they were not good days. And then all of a sudden God sends Gabriel to announce that he's going to give a full frontal assault on evil and sin and suffering. And he's going he's to begin his plan to eradicate evil in the world and to overturn all sorrow in the world. And he says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it through a little tiny baby. He's going to be born and have to grow up just like all of you. And you think that that'd be a head-scratcher for them, right? I mean, it's a head-scratcher for us sometimes. And yet, what I know is nothing can be impossible for God. It's interesting that Daryl Bach says in Luke, uh, Luke is written, he says, from earth up rather than heaven down. And what he means by that is sometimes we tend to look at the world and we see it from the end. Like if, if you've been in church for a long time, you know Christmas is supposed to be happy time and you know that Jesus comes and then you know, you know he dies, but then you're like, oh, but he resur gets resurrected, right? So like death's bad, but he gets resurrected and then he's gonna come back, he's gonna make all things new. And sometimes we, we, we look at it from the end and that's good and helpful to know the end of the story and know Jesus wins and look backwards. But that's looking at it from heaven down. Luke starts out and starts out and kind of goes from the earth up. And so for Mary and for Zechariah, they did not yet understand the, the complete ending of the story. They were living in the moment, and in that moment, I think their lives felt very much interrupted. I think their lives felt, felt very vulnerable, as ours do. And I think for us, as we think about, as I think about um, kind of this, this story, the reality for them is Jesus' beginning was so humble that no one really understood what was happening. He was a baby born in a manger. And he was going to grow up and he was going to begin to be raised in this world. But he was going to, uh, 
He was going to go through hard times too. In fact, as you think about John the Baptist, John the Baptist it said uh, would be attacked by many and he would live kind of as a wanderer in the wilderness, as an outcast. And Jesus would wander off as a child. And his family would wonder if, if he's lost his mind and gone insane when he starts to claim to be God. They didn't understand everything at the front, at the front end of this. John the Baptist at the end of his life, you know how John the Baptist ends? He ends literally with his head on a platter being served as a joke at a party. Jesus is going to end with his body nailed on a cross. And yet Gabriel's promise was that these two, John and Jesus, will come and there'll be great joy. And they will be great on the earth and they have an incredible mission. The question for you is, were the promises of Gabriel not true? No, they were true. There was a great story. There was great joy. But it didn't happen exactly the way they thought it would, did it? And there were interruptions all along the way for them. We know that Mary wept when she saw Jesus on the cross. And you don't, you don't get the full sense of that in this, story, in this revelation from Gabriel, do you? As Gabriel tells Mary about the son that's going to come and the joy that's going to be his and that he's going to reign on a throne of David forever. And yet, he's going to go to a cross first. So I think they probably still had questions. They still had doubts. The cross would have felt like an interruption to their lives. But it was just that, friends. It wasn't a derailing of God's plan. It wasn't an abandonment of the Lord. It didn't mean that God's sovereign orchestrated plan and his assault on sin, suffering, and death wasn't going to come to fruition. It was an interruption on the way to something greater, and God's greater was still to come. And so in that, Mary wept at the interruptions that came. But she also kept faith that this one who would soon be buried, three days later they got to see that he was resurrected. And one day we will get to see when he comes back. And he does make all things new and he makes all things right. So they would, under, they would come to understand what we were invited to understand in Christmas. Friends, the God of Christmas takes our frustration and suffering so seriously that it that he sent his son into the world to fix it. He sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us, to bear the weight of it all himself. He made himself as vulnerable as a babe in the world who would experience sickness and experience sorrow and experience death so that, because that was the only way that the world could be made right again. That's the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is all about interruptions. That God is interrupting today in order to bring about a better tomorrow. And he's going to do it through this one named Jesus. Christ was born and the Son of God became one of us. The Bible calls him Emmanuel, which means he was God with us. He was God with us in the flesh. He was God with us in, in our frailty. He was God with us in our questions. He was God with us in our doubts. He was God with us in our tears and in our suffering. And he was God with us in his death so that he could be God with us in a world made new that lasts forever. That's the story of Christmas. That's the miracle. Friends, nothing is impossible with God. So let me ask you today, just as you think about where you are, what questions do you have? Do you know it's okay to have questions? What doubts do you need to just identify and just say, and I'm, I'm struggling with this. It's good sometimes just to name your doubts. What promises of the Lord do you need to take by faith? is one who replies as Mary and just says, Lord, I take you at your word. I am the servant of the Lord. What you say goes. 
and I'm going to trust you, even when I have questions and doubts. Let me pray for us. Father, we do come. We want to come humbly, and we just acknowledge that we are people who believe that we need help with our unbelief. We're those who don't have it all together, but we trust a God who does. We, we are not the answer, but we trust that Jesus is. And Father, even in the interruptions of, our, of this day, Father, I pray, I pray that you would speak to us right now. Uh, Father, for those who are watching online, for those that are in the room, Father, would you help them do business with you right now? Father, would you reveal to them the interruptions that are causing disruption in their heart? Would you reveal to them the interruptions that are causing questions and doubts in their lives and allow them to articulate those even to you? And Father, would you remind them of promises? Promises that Jesus is God with us. God with us in all the hard, but also God with us in the good. God with us who comes to bring new life and forever life and joyful life to us. And Father, would you let us live even today in light of the goodness of the grace of the gospel that we have in the person of Jesus. Oh, it's in his name we pray. Amen.